sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Hi, and welcome back to the Savvy Psychologist podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, and I'll help you meet life's challenges with evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. So listener Crystal Allen from New York wrote in asking for tips on how to deal with racist interactions. So today, we'll tackle how to deal with comments about race that leave you thinking, did that just happen? These incidents, called microaggressions, leave everyone in pain. So we'll cover six tips to deal. So let me start off with a disclaimer. I will not pretend that a 10-minute podcast can solve racism. However, I can provide tips for those on the receiving end of often innocent, yet nonetheless offensive, comments. Next week, we'll cover what to do if you're the one who makes the accidental blunder. And we all will. Now, since this is a psychology podcast, we'll cover individual-to-individual racism, specifically the subtle kind, called microaggressions. Microaggression is a term popularized by psychologist Dr. Daryl Wing Sue at Columbia University, author of two books and many studies on the subject. In a nutshell, microaggressions are unintended discrimination. They include insulting actions like clutching your purse a little tighter around minority men, Invalidations, like assuming a Latino student is on scholarship, or asking an Asian American individual, no, where are you really from? And backhanded compliments, like, you sure are articulate, or I don't even think of you as Mexican. A microaggression that made the news occurred at Harvard, when an African American student, dressed in a tuxedo for a formal reception, had his champagne flute taken from him by a fellow gala attendee who mistook him for a waiter offering drinks. Microaggressions usually stem from misunderstanding or innocence, or may even be well-intentioned, but they have the same effect as deliberate discrimination. It's death by a thousand cuts. And perpetrators aren't roaring racists. They're people just like you and me, most of whom probably consider themselves to be anti-racist. Remember, microaggressions are unintentional. And finally, Microaggressions transcend race and also routinely affect women, sexual minorities, folks living with disabilities, and pretty much any marginalized group you can think of. With that, here are six tips to deal with a microaggression that leaves your heart racing and your feelings hurt. Tip number one, you are not crazy. You're not being too sensitive. Validate your experience. Yes, it stings. Yes, it's awkward. And if it's someone close to you, it might even feel like a betrayal but trust yourself. If the comment sticks with you, even hours later, or it makes you mad or sad to replay in your head what happened, know that you don't have to swallow it like a hot coal. Tell someone. Talk to someone who gets it, no matter their color. Tip number two. Ask, what do you mean? In the moment, one way to deal with comments is to play Columbo. When you're faced with, you're pretty for a dark girl, or you're not like most Asian guys, simply ask, what do you mean? Usually, they'll start to explain, realize what they said was offensive, and trail off. There will be residual awkwardness, but a lesson will be learned in a relatively gentle way. Plus, you won't have to deliver a lecture 
or engage in an argument. Now, it is possible that they'll keep right on digging themselves into a hole, at which point we move on to tip number three, decide to educate or not. You are under no obligation to educate. You can if you want to, but if you'd prefer not spending another moment in the company of someone who turns your stomach, simply walk away. Engaging in a long, serious discussion about race can be exhausting and infuriating, so pick your battles. Just as you don't speak for your entire race, you're not expected to educate every tactless person who crosses your path. If it's someone important in your life, it's probably worth the energy. But don't waste your breath on internet trolls, people at parties you'll never see again, or folks you just know are never going to change. Tip number four. If you do decide to educate, make it about the words or the action, not about the person. If you're going to have a serious conversation, focus on the words that were said or the action that happened. Don't make it personal, because your racist basically only has two outcomes, defensiveness or escalation. On the other hand, that phrase might get you into trouble, or that question makes a lot of assumptions, or saying that lumps every person of my color together, takes the spotlight off the speaker, and shines it fully on the words. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Tip number five, be proud of who you are. There are two schools of thought regarding whether a strong, proud ethnic identity helps you bounce back from discrimination or not. One theory hypothesizes that if race or ethnicity is a central pillar of your identity, then experiencing discrimination that attacks that core would be particularly damaging. However, the other theory, called social identity theory, was developed by the pioneering social psychologist Henri Teifel. His entire family was killed in the Holocaust, which led to his pioneering work studying in-groups, out-groups, and the psychology of prejudice. Social identity theory states that we affiliate with a variety of possible groups, and we tend to band together with those like us. So some of the groups we can choose. Anyone who's ever been through high school and was a band nerd, skater, druggie, jock, or goth knows how this works. But some of the groups we're born into gender, sexual orientation, immigrant status, socioeconomic status, some disabilities, and, of course, race. However, according to Teifel, once you've chosen your in-groups, you tend to focus on the positive aspects of the group. This both raises your self-esteem and invests you in highlighting the positive aspects of your group. Therefore, folks with strong racial identity are essentially committed to feeling proud to be a member of their group, even, or especially, after experiencing a slight based on that very membership. And the research plays it out. A number of studies across racial groups, like African Americans, and ethnic groups, like Filipino or Korean Americans, have found that strong ethnic identity protects mental health in the face of discrimination. This is why ethnic student associations, civil rights organizations and nonprofits, or historically Black, Asian, Latino, or Native American institutions and churches are so important. It's not about excluding them. It's about creating a community of us. And the reason it's not okay for whites to do the same is because the larger society is already that community of us. Tip number five, turn to your family. A 2008 study in the Journal of Counseling Psychology examined stress and successful ways to cope with it in over 200 African-American participants. The study found two important things. First, race-related stress 
was an even greater risk factor for psychological distress than stressful events like financial problems or trouble with in-laws. The researchers reasoned that this might be because stressful events are usually over within a few days or months, plus there are concrete steps you can take to handle things like financial problems. Racism, on the other hand, is relatively constant and less controllable. The second important finding was that what the researchers dubbed family resources, things like family cohesion, family members being able to ask for what they want, and involvement in one another's lives, was linked to lower levels of race-related stress. For you, your family may be the family you were born into, or it may be the family of friends you've surrounded yourself with over the years. Either way, it turns out family support is key to hold you up when racist interactions push you down. Next week, we'll talk about how to be an anti-racist ally, what to do if you're accidentally on the giving end of a microaggression, and why you shouldn't claim to be colorblind. If The Savvy Psychologist is helpful to you, let me know by liking on Facebook, adding me to your Google Plus circles, or best of all, subscribing to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. A final note, you may be curious about my racial background, or not at all, in which case just skip this part, but my mother is Okinawan American, and my father is white, of Norwegian and English ancestry. Or for listeners in Hawaii or California, I'm Hapa. So most Asian people can tell I'm something, though at Asian American student conferences, I've been asked, why are you here? When I was little, folks thought my mom was the nanny or that my dad had adopted me. It's a funny existence, and I've slipped in and out of other people's projected identities my whole life. I've been assumed to be Latina, Middle Eastern, Filipino, Korean, Italian, the list goes on. All this notwithstanding, for the podcast, I rely, as always, on the science. And you can check out my kick and references in the show notes. Plus, most of you have figured out that no matter my proud racial background, I am fundamentally a big nerd. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Ellen Hendrickson. A transcript of this episode, references for the studies I mentioned, and every show I've ever done are always available on quickanddirtytips.com slash savvy hyphen psychologist. And I always have to say, the Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and doesn't substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. But thanks again, and I'll see you next week for a happier, healthier mind. Finally, a disclaimer from this week's sponsor. Betterment LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are offered by Betterment Securities, an SEC-registered broker-dealer, and member FINRA SIPC. Investments are not FDIC-insured, there's no bank guarantee, and they may lose value. Investing in securities involves risks, and there's always the potential of losing money when you invest in securities. Before investing, consider your investment objectives and Betterment's charges and expenses. Not an offer, solicitation of an offer, or advice to buy or sell securities in jurisdictions where Betterment and Betterment Securities are not registered. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.